We are continuing in our series on climate change. I know we were supposed to have a present Sunday, but I didn't get through everything last Sunday, and I've been working like crazy to get us, get it shrunk down so we can sort of bring it to a conclusion today. But I want you to know that our mission as individuals and as a church is people. It's people. We're, we're not primarily called to run for political office or be the captains of industry or commerce or be the people who investigate, investigate the mysteries of science. Our, our mission is people. Those other things can be what we're asked to do, but people are our focus. When, when Jesus talked about the purpose of his life and ministry, it was a life that was linked to the power and love of God and reached out to the lost and broken of mankind. He stood up and he said, the power of God's spirit is empowering me, is enabling me to bring good news to people that are poor, bring liberty to people who are caught and stuck in prison, to bring healing to every kind and to everyone who is sick, to, to make sure that people who are oppressed and broken down, trodden, have freedom, have freedom and, and let everyone know that right now is God's time to meet them and to bring the needed change into their world. He said that. My focus is people. Our focus is people. That same mission that Jesus had is our mission. We are sent to help, to serve, to love, to liberate people. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the ability that God gives to, to break people out of their prison to break sometimes ourselves out, sometimes uh, ones that we love, sometimes people that we don't even know. Sometimes it's churches or communities or even cities, entire cities, to break them out of prisons. And we've been using this box as a, as a reminder, as, a, as an illustration of, of people who were caught, who were stuck in prison. It was my hope last week to speak about the, the tools that God gives to us. Uh, you remember that and the enemy comes and he tries to isolate us, tries to box us in, tries to separate us from God, separate us from people, separate us from help, separate us from the family. And, and so this morning we want to talk about the tools. We're, we're warriors. We, we've been given the ability, we've been given the authority to make prison breaks happen, to go to prisons and break people out of their captivity. I ran out of time last week, and so we sat down and we reorganized November and, and, and we, so that we could continue this series on warriors for prison breaks this morning. A warrior is someone who fights for something that they feel is worthwhile. Someone who has a willingness, if, if required, to lay down their life for a, for a worthy cause. Jesus said that he was a warrior didn't come to be looked after and managed, but came to give his life, to warrior, to war for those who needed to be rescued, need to be saved, needed to be restored to their God-given purpose and destiny. Let me quickly give you our reference point as we get ready to jump in to a, a great deal of practical information. If you have a pen and a paper, you may want to take it out because we're going to give you some, some very practical things to do today. But let me give you this. this. It's, it's the final hours of, of Jesus, his life, hours, just hours before the cross. His, 
His followers are in an upper room and they're participating in the Passover meal. And in during that time, during the, that gathering together in that upper room, several significant things have taken place. Judas has made arrangements to betray Jesus to the Jewish religious authorities. At the supper table, Jesus reveals that he knows that there's a plot. He's aware of the plot and how it's going to unfold. He's told, he has told those gathered that it's only a short time before his body is broken and his blood is spilled. During that same supper, as they're sitting around the table, there comes an argument amongst the, uh, amongst the, the apostles uh, the, an argument as to who is going to, to lead the, the, the group, who's going to be in places of prestige and honor and power. It's, a, it's an important night, and many things are both said and done. And, and then in Mark Jap, chapter 22, Jesus turns specifically to Peter. And he gives him a specific warning about what's in front of him. Everyone hears the conversation, but it's specifically directed, strategically given by Jesus to Peter. I'm going to read it to you. It's Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. I'm going to read it out of two versions because I like how both of them. First, the message says, Simon, Simon Peter, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I have prayed for you in particular that you not give in, that you not give out. When you've come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. That's the message, and now I want to read it out of the, the Passion Translation. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, Peter. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. When Jesus calls you by name, when He says specifically that you should be aware of a danger that is close to you at this moment, you would be very wise to take that call seriously and to sit in rapt attention to everything He says. Be alert, Simon. There's an attempt on your spiritual life, Jesus says. Satan, who is about to become a defeated foe, but has significant power, has significant authority, has tried his best to separate all of you, all of the apostles from me. That's so important to hear. It wasn't just Peter. It's a regular, it's a constant demonic routine that is carried out against all of them and against all of us. There, there are things that I like about both translations. The message indicates that Satan has used all of his resource to attempt to take down 
Peter, realizing that he has a significant role to play on the other side of the cross and, and, and wants to hold him back, wants to discount him. And, and, and the Passion Translation indicates that the brutal cruelty of the dark realm in that Satan appeared and demanded, angrily demanded the right to test Peter's faith and drive him off from connection to Jesus. The process is compared to the milling of wheat where the grain is brought in from the field and, and, and put on a, on a stone and pressure is exerted and the protective husk that surrounds the, the meat of the grain is broken open and then it's tossed in the air so that the, that the, the husk will be blown away and the grain will be pure of all the husks so that it can be made into flour. Jesus says, Satan has asked to apply pressure to you, Peter. Pressure that will break you down, crush you. And then he wants to use the wind to blow you away so that you can't be in relationship with me. That's a recognizable strategy that I have seen succeed all too often. Pressure comes into a person life, person's life and hurt occurs. And any number of emotions and strategies can be used. People become angry or, or disillusioned, bitter, withdrawn, isolated. And they pull away from their connection to the house, to, to believers, to, to the word, to prayer, to Jesus himself. Once they're away from relationship, they're vulnerable. They can be lied to. It's not so difficult to deceive them. They can be brutalized. And, and then there's no one there to help, no one there to protect. It, it, it seems like a frightening prospect that, that makes us wonder, how in the world am I able to withstand such an intimidating foe who is brutally attempting to separate me from my connection with God? Simon you don't see what's going on, Jesus says. You are unaware of this strategy, but I'm aware of it. And I want you to know that I am fighting for you. I am fighting for you. I'm, I'm warring for you. By name, I'm standing. Simon, I have prayed for you. There is no more powerful weapon than prayer. Jesus stands and he says, Peter, I have stood before God and I have reminded him of his promises for you. I have cried out in warfare on your behalf. I have asked God to give you two specific strategies that are specific to this, this struggle that you're about to enter into. I have asked God to give you endurance so that you do not become discouraged. You do not give in to the lies that will be spoken to you and about you and where you belong. I have prayed that you would have endurance. But I've also prayed specifically that you will be given strength, supernatural strength, so that the battle that rages on around you, you won't lose that battle and become weak and give out. I have asked God to be your strength. Understand this, Peter. Every time there is a test, means there's coming a promotion. 
Church, hear me. Every time there is a test in your life, there's a promotion on its way. Peter, for three years, you have been a follower. You have been a participant in my team. There, there has been, but there's coming a day, and it's quite soon, you will step up and you will lead. This promise that is on your life has made your enemy mad, and he is testing you in the hope that you will be disqualified, that you'll be wiped out, that you'll be made ineligible because of failure. But Peter, I have prayed. I have prayed. I've, I've been made a warrior on your behalf. I have not given up and I have fought a fierce and persistent battle so that you might not be disqualified, but that you might be promoted. This is a test. This is a necessary process to be sure that you're made ready for God's promotion. Remember when James writes to all of us and he says in chapter 1, verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow so that it will grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing when you were promoted to the next phase that God has for your life. Whenever you are tested, there's a promotion coming. There's something better, something bigger. Testing always comes before a promotion. It's an important insight to have. Then comes the message of, of hope that Jesus speaks to, to a man that has just been told that he's going to go through a difficult season of tests. Peter, when? Not if, but Peter, when you have come through this time of testing. I have battled on your behalf. There is hope. I have battled and I know that I've gone to war for you and I'm telling you that this isn't an if you succeed. The work has already been done. The outcome has already been determined. So when you succeed, when you've come through this testing, here is your mission. Turn to your compassion companions and give them a fresh start. Or as the Passion Translation says, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. I want you, Peter, to go and I want you to pastor the rest of the crew. The, the death and resurrection of, of my life is going to take some of the stuffing out of this group. And you will be the one who picks up the strength first. You will be the one who will lead them to a fresh start. From that point, you will then have a life mission of strengthening the faith of people who are under pressure. That's going to be your life's mission. You will know how to do it. You have experienced it. And now you will impart faith to people who are under pressure. And that's exactly what Peter does. Like Jesus, you and I have been appointed. You and I have been authorized to be warriors for people who are in all kinds of prisons. I, I, I want to talk about some of the tools that we've been given. I want you to remember our weapons are not the conventional weapons of warfare. We read last week that God's, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds. Of, of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. 
keeps people isolated from God. And so I want to give you several. Number one is we need to have understanding. We need to have God's understanding. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, or 12, verse 32 says this. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. And all these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. We, we come from a unique and diverse background. The backgrounds that we've grown up in, the homes we've grown up with, the, the, the experiences that we have had, the values, the perspectives, the lifestyles that we have grown up with have become our norm. I come from white, privileged, middle-class background. I was raised in a home where there was no gray, it was white or black. Right or wrong. My religion, my politics, my education, my style, my opinions all spring out of the way that I was raised, all spring out of my background. My parents were married for 58 years until, and remained married until my father passed away. I have never, ever had a resume. I have never, ever spent a night on the streets. I have never, ever been drunk or high. I have never been arrested or physically or sexually abused. That's my norm. And after almost 40 years of ministry, I can say that my normal is not normal. In fact, I'm so confused about what normal is, I take the, the, the title off the book by Mrs. Johnson that says, norm, normal is a setting on your dryer. I think that's all it is. Just from inside this house, not counting people outside this house, I am a pastor to people who have witnessed and experienced some of the most difficult, horrific, life-crushing events that can be imagined. People who have witnessed murders and violent acts take place, sometimes in their home, been beaten, abused in every manner imaginable, have been rejected by family and friends, destroyed, betrayed, shunned, disowned, sold and traded, tortured and crushed in some unforgivable ways. My normal did nothing to prepare me for prisons like that. Understanding Taking time to listen, to observe, to learn without judgment and condemnation is so very important. I, I use the men of, of Issachar as, a, as an example. They were a group that had this ability to see the signs of the times that were around them and to interpret those signs and to know what the best course of action would be for the nation. This is a God-given ability. This 
is what we are to ask God to do, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to give us compassionate hearts. We think of the men who came to, to Job in the midst of his distress and his testing, and we tend to judge them because they came to bring comfort and they ended up being more painful than the itchy boils on Job's body. However, they started with an attempt to understand. They came and they sat with Job in silence and just watched and listened and observed for seven days. Not offering advice, not giving spiritual counsel, just watching with the intent to understand what was going on and what he was experiencing and going through. When I go to a prison, when I visit someone that's in isolation, I, I don't come and think, ah, you, you did something wrong. What is it? I, I come determined to know nothing but the power of God to break them out and to understand where they're at and what they're going through. We, we work with God and have not been given the, the title of chief justice or the straightener of the crooked. We are sent to love. We are sent to serve. We are sent to heal, not to judge. We are sent to understand. Does that, does that make sense? Let's go on to the next one, prayer. We've already mentioned this because it's found in the example of Jesus. But when you war for someone, when you're battling for someone, you had better have a strong, solid connection with God in prayer. You are not, I am not wise enough to break people out of their prison on my own. I need a word from God. I need direction. I need God to say, do this, do it this way, and do it now. In your daily praying, if you are not praying for others, if you're only praying for yourself and for your needs, you are on the beginner's side of prayer. Prayer has the ability to shake worlds. Prayer has the ability to create change for things bigger and mightier than my small world. Peter, I have battled for you in prayer. Who are you battling for in prayer? We've asked you to find a person that you can love and serve. And, and one of the things that I'm asking you to do is to, to pray for them. I've asked you about your person. Let me know who they are so that I can pray with you and pray for you. And, and, and I want you to know that I have many people that I'm battling for. I'm, I'm battling for, for, for futures. I'm battling for marriages and finances and, and future spiritual leaders that are, are being tested and tormented and there's an attempt to crush them. I, I'm battling diseases and addictions, lies and torments, temptations that are found in the lives of my people in this house and people who are outside of this house. Jesus said, in your praying, ask and keep on asking. Look to God to, to answer and keep on looking. Knock, knock, knock on heaven's door and never give up knocking because to everyone that asks, there comes an answer and everyone who looks for God's intervention finds and the people who knock will find that the door opens up. Prayer. You need to pray for your people. The next thing is, is acceptance. I find it odd, I find it sad, I find it irritating and frustrating that people outside these walls think that I am a religious monk who lives in an ivory tower and only hangs with people who believe what I believe and do what I do. 
nothing could be further from the truth. If you knew who some of my friends were, if you knew the stories behind some of my friends on Facebook, you probably wouldn't hang out with me. Paul says that we're supposed to be real and genuine in the way that we love people. Don't pretend, just really love them. Don't feel that you have to buy into wrong ideology or sinful lifestyle. It's, it's crazy that in a, in a liberal world where anything goes, it's thought that if we disagree, then we must be hate mongers. That bugs me too. It's not true. I can disagree with your theology or your lifestyle or your morals and still be your friend, still accept, still love you for who you are. Jesus did that all the time. I ask you to find some people who are in need of love and accept them for who they are and just love them with genuine affection. Learn how to honor these are, these are things that are pulled out of Paul's writings here in Romans chapter 12. Don't, don't be lazy in relationships, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be a positive person, full of hope, ready to help wherever you can. When you have an opportunity to help, don't conveniently be too busy. Be eager to practice hospitality. There's something that happens. There's a dynamic that opens up when we sit down over food and just share. Get to know more than their face, more than their name, but get to hear their story. Don't get caught up in doing evil payback things. Live in peace as much as possible with everyone. Not just with white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, but with everyone. I have a high, strict standard for myself, but that is my standard for me. It's based on Bible truth, and, and they are for the health of my relationship with God and health in my relationships with others. You need to know that I love people. I'm committed to people. Prison records don't matter to me. Addiction problems don't disqualify you from being my friend. Religious indifference doesn't exclude you from my world. And in the first 100,000 hours of our conversation, I am not going to ask you about what your sexual orientation is. My life message is this. My best discovery in life is Jesus Christ. He has made my life, my world, my work amazing. I hope that in you watching me, in you interacting with me, you see something of him in my life, and it makes you curious enough to check him out. If there's any way that I can help you, be a friend to you, serve you, encourage you, I would be so happy to do that, and I will pray for you. They don't always like that last part. But that first part always opens up doors. Acceptance. Then kindness. Still in Romans, my, my goal is to live my life in such a way as to wipe out the memory of the judgmental extremism of some redneck religious bigots from the memory of this generation. Kindness seems to be the best way to do that. Paul says that kindness is a powerful tool in breaking down walls for, 
for people in prison. Eradicate revenge from your mind and from your vocabulary. Just learn to forgive and let God look after the outcomes. This is Paul talking. But when you discover an enemy, find out what his or her need is and meet it with kindness. If they are hungry, then feed them something good. If they are thirsty, then get them something cold and refreshing to drink. Here's the definition of kindness from Paul. Not allowing evil to conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's kindness. Kindness breaks open prison walls. Kindness. Another tool is hope. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. When Jesus spoke the warning to Simon Peter, he gave him hope. When you have come through this trial, when you have got on the other side of this test, Simon Peter, I want you to know you will come through. I don't have a lot of of skills, but one that I do enjoy using is looking beyond where someone is right now and seeing the hope, seeing the promise, the potential, and the future for them. Seeing a young man who is shipwrecked and cursing the only name that has the power to set him free, and not getting stuck on that picture, but seeing him as one of the young men who will declare God's power and glory boldly with authority, dreaming dreams that God has meant him to dream. I've seen that happen in this house. I love when it happens. I spend very little time talking about past history and failures with people. I, I, I want to inspire them to dream bigger, better things. I, I, I like having a good five-by-five five Sunday like we had a few Sundays ago here on this platform. Listen to people say, once I was lost and broken, but now I'm full of hope and doing well and making a difference with my life and in my life. What he has done in me, he can do in you. Always minister, always give away hope. Isaiah said that the Messiah would come and that his name would be the hope of all the world. Restoring hope where it has been stolen and damaged. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. You are surrounded by people right now that are heart sick because they have been robbed of hope. Love always brings hope. Love always gives hope. Be a purveyor of hope. We couldn't do anything without love. I always suggest that you find some place in a, in a wall and just make a big enough hole so that you can pour love in. Pour love in. Love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect, complete love. The most powerful tool we have to break people out of prison after prayer is love. If if you can crack in a wall or bore a hole in a wall and just love constantly, love consistently, love without judgment or conditions, there's something that happens, something that takes place spiritually that defies the imagination. 
We talked about it last week that our enemy is one of, has one major motivation, and that's to keep people imprisoned in their fear. If, if you don't toe the line, there will be dire consequences. So keep your nose to the stone and give up hope of anything changing and you will break sooner and I will win sooner and you will be destroyed. That's the strategy. And so John says that there's this incredible kind of love, a perfect love, that not, not a faultless love that you and I possess, but, but a love of such high quality, such incredible consistency, and it's devoid of, of judgment and devoid of, of conditions. And that that love pushes out, it expels all fear. It sucks the oxygen that fear needs to breathe right out of the room. Love casts out, expels all fear. That love is so rare that when you pump it into a prison cell, it looks too good to be true. And, and it pushes prisoners to have some pretty intense, pretty horrific reactions sometimes, but, but when it's consistent, when it flows towards them constantly, it changes people. There are some people in this room who, when they first met me, hated me. And I just loved them. And now they're my good friends. There's a couple people in the room who liked me at the beginning and they hate me now, and I don't know what that's all about, but... But love changes things. Love changes heart conditions. That, that rare love, when you're up close to a prison wall, look for a crack to pour in copious amounts of love. And the sign of our faith and commitment to Jesus isn't in our spiritual gifts, in our spiritual abilities, but they will know that we belong to Jesus when we love like Jesus. Just love. Then giving. Freedom comes all the time with a cost. We're coming up to, to Remembrance Day and we will re be reminded that freedom comes and it costs dearly. You, you never run into a prisoner locked in a spiritual prison at a convenient time. It almost always happens when you've got a thousand and one things on the go. You never run into need when you're full of, you're full of energy and ready to go. You, you always seem to run into it when you're ready to go down for a long winter's nap. You hardly ever run into a need when your storehouse is, is full and your bank account's overrunning. It, it's when you're noticing that you're running low and wondering how you're going to make it, much less how you're going to help anyone else out. It's called faith. It's called generosity. It's called giving. Faith that he who has called you will also supply your every need. I've used the classic verse out of Malachi that calls for the people of God to be faithful in their giving. And I've used it for two reasons. The first one is this. The promise to givers is that there will be an abundance that they will be kept safe from things that kill and destroy your resources. Giving from a mathematical human perspective makes no sense. But the promise works. When we are faithful, then He is faithful in supplying every need. The second reason that I use this verse is that 
It gives a metaphor that's so helpful to me. If you bring the tithes into the storehouse, if, if you do that, if you're generous, when, when God says, bring them, he, he also says, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out blessings so great that you won't have room to take it in. Then he says, I dare you to try it. I dare you. Put me to the test. This house is full of stories. Some that you will hear over the next few weeks about what happens to prison walls when the windows of heaven are open and, and start to rain the blessing of God that's too big to contain or to measure. Generous people have built margins into their schedule, into their budget, into their life so that there's always time, there's always enough to give, to help, to serve someone else. Giving. Forgiveness. To be unwilling to forgive is to place yourself in a prison. It's not possible to help with prison breaks when you are a prisoner yourself. Jesus says, if you forgive others who, who have wronged you, who have sinned against you, that frees the Father up to forgive you. But if, if there's a lack of forgiveness, then the Father will not forgive your sins. It's the economy of God. You have to let go of things so that you can help someone else. Paul talks or takes the other side of the stick and says, listen, prison break is the most popular is not the most popular work in the world. No one will be voted most likely to succeed. No one who, who does prison breaks will be mo voted most likely to see your 100th birthday. You're going into dark territory to rescue spiritual prisoners. The, the, the reaction is not soft. It's not gentle. It's not warm. It's not welcoming. You will have every opportunity to be hurt, every opportunity to be offended. In this work, you have to change the way that you think and the way that you react. When you face persecution, he says, you don't curse and react with fury aimed at your persecutor. You speak blessing. When you are attacked, you pray that God will bless those who hurt you and target you for attack. You are happy when your persecutors are happy. You are sad when they face difficulty. You determine, you choose, you live in harmony with all people and you don't ever think or say that you will know it all. You can learn from everybody, you can learn from anybody, even from your enemies. If you're going to be in the prison break ministry for the long haul, you have to learn to live in and to exemplify forgiveness. One of the hardest lessons. Jesus on the cross, a cross that he didn't deserve, pushes himself up and speaks these life-giving words. Father, you see all of these people, and I'm asking that you would forgive them. They have no understanding as to what it is they're doing. If he can forgive in that situation, then we can. Finally, obedience. Obedience is a big deal at any stage of life, but in the prison break ministry, it's essential. In the book of Acts, we have two prison break stories. One, the one we looked at last week, doors are open, chains fall off, but nobody moves. No one dares escape their custody, and the outcome is a mini-revival that takes place in that Philippian jail. The other prison break is found in Acts chapter 12, and the angel of the Lord 
comes in, opens the door, leads Peter out of the prison and back to a prayer meeting that, of people that were praying for his release. When we do prison breaks, we don't know what to do. But when we listen for, when we respond in obedience to the directions of God, we're always empowered to do things above and beyond our capabilities. I, I, I like to use this example of Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were a couple who'd always wanted to have a baby, always wanted to have a family, but it never happened. And throughout their life, in the hopeful years and in the years when hope was gone, this is the report that was given of them. In joy, in anticipation, in disappointment, they were righteous in God's eyes and careful to obey all of the Lord's commands. Didn't matter what they were going through, they chose to obey. And you know that when they were old, their dream was fulfilled. Obedience always opens prison walls always cracks prison doors. I want to tell you a personal story that I've been sort of loath to tell you this, this little bit. It's kind of embarrassing. You'll find it funny because it's at my expense. Um, it happens when I'm, when I'm in grade five. Just a few hundred yards from here, my parents had a uh, had a motel where we lived and uh, we weren't able to take summer vacations and so quite often in the winter generally february we'd take 3 or 4 weeks off and go someplace this particular vacation i'm in grade 5 so i'm about 11 years old um my parents have a truck and they've hired a camper to sit on the back. They said it was so that we could continue to play in the back and things, but I think it was they needed a break and just thought, we'll put them back there and forget about them while we're driving. We get to the amazing town of Starburst, Montana. The truck pulls in, dad needs to get some gas, and I need to find a bathroom. And so I ask where it is, and they tell me it's around the back. Not helpful, but I go looking around the building, and I don't find anything that says restroom, washroom, bathroom, anything. I don't see anything. And I come back, and I say, I, I can't find it. And they point to something about this size standing away from the building. My system freezes. It's an outhouse. I go into the outhouse and I pull the door shut. And in pulling the door shut, this upper part here comes in and gets behind the frame of the building and it's wedged in there. I need to remind you the purpose of why this is such a fearful thing. I had a trauma in my early years that left its mark on me. I never wanted to be left behind. When my parents said, well, it's time for us to go, I'd run and I'd hide in the car so that they couldn't leave without me. That fear was deep inside of me. 
So I enter into this prison that needs climate change. <laughs> and while I'm inside the prison, I hear the truck that my parents are driving start up and pull away. Fear fills me. Such panic, such fear that I start pushing on the door and I can't get out. And I, I push hard enough on this bottom part that I, I, think, I think that I can get out of it. And I, I scrape my head all up, getting those enormous ears past the door and the frame. And, and I've got myself out to about this position, and I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I'm panicked. I'm riddled with fear. I've been left in the middle of nowhere, Montana. My parents are down the road thinking that I'm in the back of the camper and it'll be days before they discover that I'm not there. <laughs> I'm having a meltdown. I'm stuck in my prison. I'm not doing well. There are two things that happen. The first is that my dad comes around the corner and sees me in this condition and being the compassionate soul that he is, bends over, laughing his head off. <laughs> which I didn't find amusing or helpful. Caused some strife between us for years afterwards, but... The man who owned the station came around and saw it and didn't laugh, but he came and he pulled on the door so that I could get out. Now, it's a long-ago story, but it gives you some insight into people who are just desperately wanting to get out of their prisons. People who will fight, will do anything, will, will scrape themselves up, will, will risk humiliation, will do whatever it takes just to get out of their prison. All they need is someone who will help, someone who will pray, someone who will love unconditionally, constantly, consistently, someone who will accept them for who they are and where they're at. They just need you. David, will you come? Who's your person? I've been getting some neat emails of people telling me who their person is and I've started praying with you and praying for you and we want to put something up that'll just keep us reminded all the time to, to be praying for our person, but who's your person? If you haven't chosen someone, choose them right now. Who is it that's locked in a prison somewhere and just needing a little help to get out? Who's someone that just needs some hope? 
someone who understands how fear works and, and is willing to pour in the, the love until that, that fear is expelled. Who is it? Who's your person? Who's your person? Who is it that God's put on your heart, in your mind? Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you to accomplish all of this. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't say, well, I, who am I? I can't help anybody. I'm in enough mess. This is the word of God to you this morning. Don't ever doubt God's mighty power in you. Well, Pastor Bill, could you just go visit? No, I can't. You're their contact. There, you're their face. Don't ever doubt God's mighty power to work in you to accomplish this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will do them all for his miraculous power. Constantly energizes and instructs you. Will you stand, please, with me?